Good morning, guys. It's so good to be here, especially on Mother's Day. Because we, we had Mother's Day in England in, in March, and we get round two, which is amazing. You do honor very well in the States. We've learned that every time we've come. Uh, yesterday, I played a show last night in St. Louis. And um, just before I went on, one of the event organizers came up to me, and she said, uh, so will you be calling your mom tomorrow? And I said, uh, I wasn't planning on it. And she looked horrified. And she was like, are you sure? And I was like, nope, I don't think I, don't think I am. Um, I was like, I'll just wait till I see her next week. And she's like, you should call your mom. And I was like, I don't intend to. And then I realized what was going on. I said, no, we had it in March, and I did very well. I gave her a present and stuff. Um, but it's so good. I'm going to jump straight into the scriptures because I'm going to say nothing better than what you hear from this word right now. This is, um, we're going to read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, verse, we'll go from, let's go from verse 7. Put your hand up if you've got a scripture in front of you and you're ready to go. Yes, three of us. All right, I'll read it out. Awesome. So this is, I'm going to read from the ESV. This is 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 7. Paul speaking. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will boast all more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your voice is in print. Father, we thank you that we can gather as a family around the world and meditate on what it is to be followers of the way of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the time that we have together. I thank you for everyone in this room this morning. And Lord, for anyone who sat here for the first time, for anyone who sat here not sure why they're here and why they're listening to this bearded man speak this morning. God, I thank you that you're moving amongst us and you're going to be moving uh, as I share. Lord, I pray that anything that is not of you will fall to the floor and everything that is of you will just penetrate our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So we've, um, we've been on the road for six weeks and we've been, we've been living our dream, right, babes? We've been living our dream. We've been dreaming about touring the States for years. I mean, like 10 years. And here we are. We played 20 shows, driven 3,000 miles through 12 states in the last six weeks, and it's just been amazing. Played in front of two plus 2,000 people, and it's just been absolutely awesome. And, and I don't know if you guys relate to this, but as you're living a dream, sometimes God speaks to you about more dreams because you're kind of completing something that you had in your mind already. And I've been dreaming a lot in the last six weeks. And um, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I'm going to be a little bit more towards my notes today because... God's been speaking to me about so much over the last six weeks. I want to make sure I give the word that I feel God has given to me to share to you because I really feel he's pressed something upon me to share. Um, one, of the, one of the most beautiful cities we went to was uh, Charleston. Anybody been to Charleston? Charleston feels like going into a time machine, the doors opening, and then you enter this city that feels like it's just in a different era. 
the houses and the architecture and the scenery. And I walked past a, a cigar lounge and I looked in and there was these two enormous men in white pinstripe suits smoking fast cigars. And I realized we were definitely in the South and uh, definitely far from England. And it was amazing. And we're walking through Charleston and just soaking up the sights. And we're here with Beps and Ed. And Beps and Ed have been traveling the world for a year. They've been in I don't know how many countries, but America is the last stage of the trip. And we're walking through the city, and I said to Ed, I was like, bro, is there anything that's happened to you on this last year that has made you feel scared for your life? I mean, they have been everywhere, from different countries in Africa to the Philippines to Australia, New Zealand. They've been everywhere. And, um, and Ed says to me, well, there was a time when we were in South Africa, and um, we were staying near a golf course. And... Um, there was houses around the golf course. And there was a report that was kind of going around the neighborhood that in one of the garages of one of the houses, someone had found a black mamba snake. And the black mamba is one of the most deadly snakes on the planet. It's the most deadly snake in South Africa. Um, one bite from a mamba will kill you. It kills a rodent within a matter of minutes and will kill a man in a matter of hours. And so everyone's aware, and Ed's talking to me and telling me that everyone's kind of on alert that this black member has been seen in this garage. Anyway, they're on this day trip, and they need to walk from one side of the golf course to the other and um, realize that to get to where they want to go, they could either go round it or through it. Going round it would take a lot longer, but going through it would mean they would have to walk in between the house where the garage was, where the member was seen, and another house. And in between those two houses with some long grass. I've never, this is the first time I think in a month I've seen Ed wearing jeans. He wears shorts all the time. And he's telling me that he's walking in shorts and flip-flops. And um, they, they get to the, to the grass and tentatively begin walking slowly through the long grass. And I Googled black members and I found out that they like to hang out in the long grass. Ed's walking through. Bethany gets to the other side. And he tells me that halfway through, walking in trepidation and fear. He feels two very sharp spikes go through his flip-flops and into his skin. And it propels him out of the long grass and onto the side. And he's telling me this in Charleston, very much alive, and Maha's racing. And he looks down, takes off his flip-flop, and there's two thorns stuck into his skin. And I don't know if any of you have experienced this when you're watching a film or you're reading a book or you're taking a walk and the Holy Spirit interrupts what's going on with a word. Anybody experienced that? Ed tells me the story. We're walking through Charleston and I stopped. I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Josh, how many times have you asked me to remove a thorn from your skin that was protecting you from the threat of a snake? How many times have you asked me to remove a thorn in your skin that was protecting you from the threat of a snake? This says that to me. And immediately this scripture comes to mind. And immediately I begin to feel the power of what Paul's writing here. Ed felt a spike go through his foot. He obviously associated it with the bite of a snake. The black member bites with its two fangs, opens up this corrosive black inky venom that seeps into your veins, paralyzes the body, and kills you. That's what he felt go through his foot, propels him out into safety. 
And I'm realizing as I'm just, we're walking down the street and I must have been bad company because I was just thinking and the Holy Spirit was talking to me. And I just, I just came to this realization as we're walking. This is really what I want to share with you guys today. There is no safer place in the world than in the presence of God. There is nowhere safer in the world than in the presence of God. And whatever propels you into the presence of God is a good thing. Whatever propels you into the presence of God is a good thing. And I'm realizing that often what leads me into a greater revelation and awareness of who the Father is. And as Dan said, Kara and I are just obsessed with the Father, heart of God. I believe it is the revelation of all revelations. Someone once asked me, Josh, when are you going to move on from talking about the Father? And I said to him, go where? Jesus said, I'm the way to the Father. That makes the Father our destination. And, um, and, and, and I'm realizing that some of the things that, that propel me into the presence of the Father, that propel me to really stop and look into the face of God, are often very painful, discomforting. I have a memory of being a young boy, probably about 10, 11 in Bethany. You might, might, might remember this. But my dad's a musician, and he once bought a keyboard, and it probably would be an archaic instrument now. But he bought this keyboard, and he brought it home, and he loved it and was very proud of it. And I remember one morning wanting to play with it before school. And so I plugged it in, and I found the plug that didn't really fit into the power, um, the hole of it at the back. But I was just persistent in making this keyboard turn on so I could play it. So I just kept pushing it in and pushing it in and pushing it in to the point that it broke the, the, the plug and it messed up the keyboard. Anyway, before we went to school, do you remember this, Okay, before we went to school, my dad found out and he was really upset. And so he called me and my sisters and he said, which one of you broke this? And I didn't want to say. And so I lied and I said, I, I don't know, it wasn't me. It was definitely one of these two. One of my sisters, it wasn't me. And, 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 um, and anyway, I went to school, just like Adam in the garden. <laughs> um, and I, I, I went to school and, and the whole day I just felt this fear and this, this kind of sharpness and this, this uncomfortability of knowing that I had lied to my father. But more than that, the fear of admitting it. And when I think about it, it, it wasn't the fear of him. I wasn't afraid of my dad. I wasn't afraid of what he was going to do. I, I felt afraid that my failure in doing what I did was going to somehow define the way he saw me. Do you know what I mean? Like, or de define the way I felt our relationship was then set. Now, sh shame, I've heard someone say, shame is the belief that you are something wrong. Guilt is that you've done something wrong, but shame is that you are something wrong. And I think I came under that that day, and I came home, and I just was too much. And so I I told my mom because uh, I, felt, I felt I was safer first. And then she, she was like, you got to speak to your father. And I saw, so Adrian, what's up, bro? Oh, good to see you, man. Chat to you after. Um, so in my mind, it's a little, yeah. Anyway, I went, I, went, I went and spoke to my dad. And I told him, and, and um, he just did what, what a good father does. And he looked at me, and he, he disciplined me. You know, he, he made me very aware of the fact that I lied and that I shouldn't have. But he loved me, grace and truth and restored me. And I remember just thinking about this, just looking at him and feeling like we had never been closer. Do you know what I mean? Like we had never been more connected, that we had never been more intimate than we were in that moment. And it was sharp and it was painful, but it was right and it brought me closer to him. And I don't want to be the one to tell you this if you don't know already, but we live in the age of the long grass. There's a phrase that is the devil's in the detail. The devil's in the unseen. The devil is in where you're not looking. 
The devil is where you don't spend enough time to see where he is to necessarily protect yourself from him. We live in a culture that is passive. We live in a culture which is predominantly apathetic. Ed and I were driving home from St. Louis last night, and we were just talking about this and listening to a podcast, and someone was just saying, I think the greatest threat to, to the church today isn't, isn't any secular ideas, it's actually the iPhone. I think we're just slowly becoming so dumbed down in our thinking, in our perception, and in our presentness that we're unaware of the schemes of the enemy. Jesus says in Mark 13, I've been obsessed with Mark 13 recently, however you read it, however your eschatology uh, translates it, he begins and ends Mark 13 by warning his disciple about things to come. And he says at the beginning, be aware, stay alert. And he ends Mark 13 by saying, be aware and stay alert. Be awake. It doesn't mean you live in fear. You just live aware and you live awake and not making Ed into a passive man whatsoever. But walking through the long grass without a perception of what's in there is actually where a lot of, a lot of us live. And I know I've been there myself. And God, Paul is saying in this passage, in his grace, will allow us to be burdened sometimes, will allow us to be aware of a heaviness, allow us to be aware of a sharpness, allow us to be aware of his presence within that situation to awake us to a greater threat around us. Paul speaks about in the passage before a revelation, an incredible revelation that he's experienced. And he says at the beginning, I'll just read it one more, that first line. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. A thorn was given to Paul to root him in humility and in grace. God was aware that Paul had just seen something that no man had ever seen before. Paul was so uh, caught up in the things of God and the things of heaven. God then gave him a thorn. And it seems a little odd that he would take him to a height and then he would be given something that seems painful. And I realized that Lucifer, Satan, before he fell, was worshiping God, right? And there's something in the human heart, as it happened with Lucifer, to be so enamored and so transfixed and so aware of the beauty and the power of God that we can stumble into becoming transfixed with the beauty and the power of ourselves. That's why whenever there's fruit in our lives, God wants to begin by pruning it, not necessarily adding to it. He wants to prune us when we become fruitful. And that doesn't feel good. And pruning is actually the result of spiritual disciplines. And disciplines and apathy and, 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 and being passive don't generally go together. So we live in an age which is becoming very distant and disconnected from spiritual disciplines. From being aligned and so connected to the Father that we're acutely aware of any scheme of the enemy. We're aware of the snake in the grass. We're not passive to it. And if God needs to wake us up and get our attention by pricking something into us a little bit, in his mercy, he will do it. Are you with me, my friends? So there is thousands of years, literally thousands of years and thoughts and hours of writing by theologians about what the thorn in the flesh was for Paul. And I'm not going to get into it. I don't have time. Um, but but he, when he quotes, uh, he actually quotes Numbers 33 when he says a thorn in my flesh. It said in Numbers 33, of God's people and their enemies, they will be to you like a thorn in the flesh. So my reading of that passage, I simplify it to the thorn in the flesh is something often that seems to oppose God's people. 
And I'm realizing that in my life, there's been three primary places where I've experienced a thorn in the flesh. Something that has opposed me, but God has allowed to remain to lead me into a greater revelation of who he is and what he's like and what the, his, his heart for my life is. There's three Ps. I'm going to tell you real quick. The first one, and this is me personally, the first one is poverty. I've experienced so many times in my life the desire for God to bring instantaneous financial breakthrough. And I've desired so much for, and you guys know what it's like when you get to the end of the month and the money isn't all there, when you're waiting for payments, when things are delayed. You know what it's like when things aren't adding up or am I the only one? I think we all know in some way or another what that experience is like. And there's been times in my life I've called out to God, would you remove this? Would you bring a breakthrough? Can you take me from here to here instantaneously? My millennial appetite would really prefer it happen that way. And it hasn't happened. And I feel what God has been teaching me throughout this is saying, Josh, you want to escape from poverty, but I need poverty to escape from you. You want to move house in a situation. I want to shift the tectonic plates of your whole spiritual awareness when it comes to the area of finances. You want to get some more money in your account. I want your sons and your sons' sons and your sons' 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 sons to not have a poverty mindset like there has been generations back in your family. So we're going to hang out for a little bit. I don't bring poverty, says the Lord. I don't bring it upon you, but there's something we're going to do here, which is going to root you in humility and root you in grace so that you'll never be able to take the ownership of getting yourself from here to here, but always credit to me and the everlasting results of that will be something that are inhumanely, sorry, humanely impossible. Are you with me? Poverty. The other one has been, and this is going to sound me like, make me sound like a bad man, but the, the, the other one is people. And I might be the only person. Let me, let me preface this by saying I love people. And Karen and I have the opportunity of being pastors in Bath, and we just love people so much. But I have met some people <laughs> that I would rather just didn't exist. <laughs> and, um, and there's been times I have honestly asked the Lord, could, could you remove them? Not in a harmful way, just in a very definite way. Um, I just, and I think we all can relate to that in some respect. And the Lord has said to me time and time again, I want you to love like me, son. I need you to learn the patience and the compassion. I need you to learn the forgiveness and the, the empathy that I feel towards you every day for this person. So they're going to hang out a little longer until you do that. Bill Johnson calls it a grace grower. Poverty people, and I don't know if you relate to this, but places. I found myself in places where I wanted to escape so deeply. I was folding t-shirts for years of my life in retail, and all I wanted to do was be on tour. And all I was doing was folding t-shirts. And I said, Lord, why aren't you bringing this breakthrough? Why aren't you aligning the stars? Why aren't you making this happen? Why can't I be out there living my dream? I'm seeing this person and this person and this person doing it and blowing up and just loving their life. And I'm folding t-shirts every day, and I'm sick of it. And I felt the Lord say to me in those seasons so often, Josh, until you're present here, you won't be present out there. You won't be present where you're imagining you'll be present. You won't be where you think you'll be. You won't be there. You might be in a room, but you won't be there. If you can't be here folding T-shirts, how will you be there when you're on stage? And it's real. God's going to hold you there for a little longer, and it's painful, and it's uncomfortable, and it feels like a prick in your heel. 
But the snake in the grass is me living with a poverty mindset for the rest of my life. With me living with the incapability of loving people like Jesus loves them. And for never ever being present until I'm living a fantasy rather than living a dream. Living a dream and living a fantasy are different. Living a dream is what the salmon do. They swim upstream through the claws of bears, knocking their bodies against rocks to get to a destination that is innately in them to be. And it costs them. A fantasy is the salmon that stay at the bottom of the riverbed and never do it and just think about it. And imagine himself as a salmon that got there without any risk. And so when Paul's saying, I'm boasting in my weakness, he's saying, I am fully aware of my incapabilities. And in doing so, allowing God to be the only one who gets the credit for getting me here and getting me here. And I believe that there is no way of walking that journey out without the spiritual disciplines. Without prayer, without meditation, without fasting, without solitude, without a secret place, without exaltation, you, it can't be done. There are no shortcuts. We were walking to the airport the other day, and I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was a book, and it said, um, the, startup short, uh, the shortcut to a startup. And if anyone's read the book, and maybe the author's in the room, I hope not. And you might think it's brilliant, but I read that, and I thought, man, is there really a shortcut to a startup? Like, is there really a shortcut to building from the ground up? You know, if, if someone wrote a book and it said, here's a shortcut to a fulfilled marriage. Honestly, I, I think you, you, you're a liar. <laughs> there, there is no, sh- you, if, you want, if you want a marriage without, any, without any, any conflict, if you want a marriage without any vulnerability, if you want a relationship without, that doesn't cost you anything, just don't turn up. Don't be there. Don't be vulnerable. Don't be real. Don't be honest and don't risk. You might not get hurt, but you'll never actually be there. You'll never actually ever be there. And being vulnerable means being weak. And I love what Dan said about meekness. And I believe Paul is saying the exact same thing. When I am weak, it's a result of being disciplined to the point that I'm allowing the Father in his affection and love for me to craft my identity and reveal his strength in me. So in weakness, I'm perfected. The, the earth has a, has a distorted view of perfection. We were in Hollywood, and I saw these three girls walk past me, and they were probably in their 20s, and they were Botoxed. And their lips were massive, and I, it was so weird. And I just thought, that isn't beautiful. It, they might be symmetrical, and it might look perfect, but it's not beautiful. And I felt God say to me, he said, the, 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 the earth wants perfection. And I want, when I made the world, I didn't say it was perfect. I said it was good. Good, goodness is actually, goodness is morality. Goodness is heart. Goodness is character. Perfection that can be superficial. So when Paul says, your strength is perfected in my weakness, I believe what he's saying is in my weakness, your goodness is revealed. God's goodness looks like a garden and sometimes it's messy because he said it was good when it was a messy garden. Amen. And so there's, there's, um, there's, there's a story in the, in the scriptures of, of a man called Jacob. And he was a man who wrestled with God. Everyone know the story? And he wrestled with God and it's profound because he wrestles with God throughout the night. And in the morning, he's shattered. He's so tired. And uh, God beats him. That's, that's how it works. And, 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 and Jacob gets God to bless him. And God, what he does is he puts Jacob's hip out. And it means that Jacob walked the rest of his life like this with a little limp. It's kind of cool if you're hitting hip-hop. But, um, <laughs> but he, he, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And I read that passage a little while ago. I was on a plane, and I just felt God say to me, and this is, this is the power of the scriptures. This is what Brenny Brown's getting famous for right now, but it's been in here the whole time. I felt God say to me, a man without a limp isn't a man who's found 
perfection. It's a man who hasn't found something worth fighting for. When you fight for something, you end up with the scars to prove it. And I really believe that's what Paul's saying. I'm, I'm, let me just read that from verse 8 again. I pleaded with the Lord that it would be removed from me. From, from me. And it, the Lord said, but my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul says, I'll boast about my weakness. My power is made perfect in you. My grace is sufficient. The antithesis of who God is is pride. God is three in one. Amen. We all believe in Trinitarian theology in here. Which means in the, in the core of who God is, he's diverse and other preferring. There is a constant dance of affection between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, I'm going to get out of the way so the Father can come in. The Father says, this is time for the Holy Spirit. They're not competing. There is no, there's no pride. There's only pride in each other. So when we're made in God's image, we're made with an innate capacity and responsibility to be other-centered and preferring of each other. So I love what Kara said. I'm proud to be in this family. It's different to say I'm just proud in my own, you know, efficiency in what I've done. That is the antithesis of what God does. And Dan, you quote this all the time. I love it. It's in James, right? God opposes the proud. Um, in Psalm 10 verse 4, this is powerful. It says, um, the wicked man with pride in his heart leaves no room in his mind for God. His mind is consumed with himself. There's no room for God in his pride. And Paul is just getting it away out of his pride. He's saying, okay, your grace is sufficient. That means I have to come under the, um, the, the certainty that to get from here to here requires all of you and less of me. Right? Now, when we're most fruitful, we want more. And when we're most fruitful, God wants to prune. Right? Let me just read this real quick. We need for time. All right. I am going to read quick. Here we go. This is, this is um, James. Uh, no, it's not. It's John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will bear more. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But the branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will be more. So that means... If you feel God's taken away a part, something, taking something away in your life that you feel is the most fruitful, he's not taking it away, he's pruning it. And often when we see lack in an area where there was fruit, we get entitled. That's mine. That was my thing. That was my area. Every time I've experienced disappointment, I've done that in, in, the, in the orphan expression. But God, that's where it was growing. What are you doing? And he's saying, I want it to be more fruitful. If you have an orphan mentality, you'll see me taking it away from you. But it was a gift in the first place, and I want it to increase. But the only way it will increase is if you abide in me, says Jesus. We have to be close enough to the Father for him to prune us. He won't prune you unless you're close enough. And if you're not close enough, the only fruit you'll have will be strange fruit. It won't be the Father's fruit. Are you with me? So there's fruit that isn't the Father's fruit because it wasn't produced out of an abiding relationship. So Paul's saying, I've had revelations, but to keep me from being conceited, he's pruning me. He's put a thorn in my flesh, so I've got something that constantly makes me lean into a dependent relationship upon the Father. So I'm abiding. So I just felt there's people in the room that needed to hear that this morning, that you feel there's an area in your life which is decreasing, and the Father's saying it's increasing if you abide. My message is simple. I only preach simple gospels messages. The message this morning is you got to go back 
to the beginning before you go forward. We have to return to the spiritual disciplines that are defining of the way of Jesus. That is prayer. That is meditation. Every time there was fruit in Jesus' life, he took himself off to the lonely place with the Lord. He could have started a mega church every time he prayed for someone. Thousands gathered around, and he pulled himself away to be with the Father. He pruned himself. He didn't build a building. He pruned himself. He went away. So the fruit was one of intimacy because it begins with intimacy, and it ends with intimacy. And at the end of the day, Jesus says this. He says, you'll come to me, and you'll say, I did great things in your name. I cast out demons. I preached the gospel. I raised the dead. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. And the word, the Greek word is the same word that Mary says to Gabriel when she says, how could I be pregnant? I've never known a man. It's the same word. So it's actually a word around sexual intimacy. The depth that is in sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife is the intimacy in its essence that Jesus is desiring between us. And any fruit from our life is to come out of that place. Amen. All right. Let me, let me give you one more thing. I want to read one more passage to you. This is real quick. I just want to, I want to debunk a lie really quick that's in there for some people. There's a difference between a time of testing and a time of tempting. The Father never tempts. All right, let me just read you this real quick. This is, this is uh, J- James. And I just, I just felt, I just added this on because I was praying and I felt there's some people that have been crying out, God, why are you tempting me? And I need to just uproot that lie right now. I'm just going to read the word. This is James 1.13. When you are tempted, don't ever say God is tempting me. For God is incapable of being tempted by evil, and he is never the source of temptation. Instead, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them into darkness. Evil desires give birth to evil actions. And when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. So my friends, don't be fooled by your desires. 17, every gift, I love this scripture, God freely gives to us is good and is perfect. And it's streaming down from the Father of Lights. If I was to, Jeremy, if I was to offer you another house, I'm going to buy it today in cash. I don't think I would need to tempt you into receiving it. Because it's, it's a best case scenario. And everything that the Father has to give us is a gift. And it's the best case scenario. He doesn't need to tempt you into it. But the devil needs to tempt you away from it. The devil wants to, the only way he can get you away from the best case scenario is to tempt you. And it's a counterfeit. It's never the true gift that God has to give you. And what's going on in a pruning season is testing. But let me make this really clear. I hate tests. Tests have a, have a subconscious kind of connection with failure to me because I've never passed one. Uh, seriously. Um, so uh, when I hear test, I think writing papers to find out how far I've fallen from the mark. I don't know if anyone else feels that. Whenever I hear God saying something about testing. But it says in uh, John 15, let me read this real quick. It says, verse 3, just from where I was going on from, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. So, the way testing works with God, I'm going to end here. The way testing works with God is this. You are already clean. You're already sanctified. You're already saved. He loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain. He loves you when your intellect denies it and your emotions refuse it and your whole being rejects rejects it. He loves you as you are, not as you should be. Jesus, he that knew no sin, became your sin so that you could become his righteousness. That's who you are. You're not a tool in the belt of a workman. You're a picture in the pocket of a father. 
He loves you because he loves you. He doesn't love you theologically because he's omnibenevolent. He's loving you right now, not passively, but radically and unrelenting in his affection. That's what he's like. When he tests you, it's only to show you the result of your right standing with him. It's only to remind you how much you have to testify about. A test from God is never going to make you feel inadequate. It's only going to make you more aware of his grace. A test from God enables you to step off that tightrope of law and self-serving pride and onto the soft green grass of grace where you always wish to be, Romans 5. And there he can start building and maturing something in you. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that he was in a, in a time of abundance and fruitfulness. If you just read 2 Corinthians from verse from 10, and it, he saw so much. And God in that time said, I'm going to give you something that is going to keep you humble, that is going to keep you grounded in grace, and as a result, keep you more fruitful. So this is all I want to ask you. There's two questions, and I'm gonna, I am going to shut up. Where in, in, in apathy and in the passivity of a generational mindset are you sitting down in the long grass looking at a thorn in your foot crying out for God to remove it where he is trying to remove you with it does that make sense where are you crying out for a breakthrough where God's trying to break through into you where does your prayer need to change where do you need to stop asking God to take something out of you and ask God to take you out of somewhere there's a bigger shift that he wants to do are you with me the second question is what's the spiritual discipline that you can put into practice this week we listened to this podcast yesterday it was so good and the guy just said on it you know the most radical thing that you can do in this generation is wake up tomorrow morning don't check your phone don't check your emails just open up the scriptures read a psalm and maybe sit in 10 minutes 15 minutes half an hour of silence and just let the Holy Spirit come and do a work in you. That's the most radical thing you can do in this generation right now. Amen. Can I pray for you? Can we stand and just pray real quick? Paul says in verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, with insults and with hardships, with persecution and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Father, those words feel distant and Lord, I pray this morning that they become living and true to us. That Lord, that we would live as we leave this building with nothing to lose and nothing to prove. With the tranquil state of a soul assured in you that you have everything that we need. That Lord, your grace is what defines us. That Lord, the inheritance that you have given us is all that we'll ever need. Lord, I thank you that you have given us all that we'll ever need. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your discipline, Father. I thank you that you love us enough to mold us and shape us and humble us. Lord, I thank you that you don't give us over to our own desires. Lord, I thank you that you challenge and you interrupt us however it, need, it needs to be, Lord. Give us the awareness. Keep us awake. Father, help us to be aware of how you're working in our life, even where it's uncomfortable. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Father, where we've been distracted. Forgive us, Father, where we've sought fruit without intimacy. Lord, remind us as a family and as a body that it begins and ends with looking into the face of a father. Lord, remind us again that you love us because you love us, because you love us, because it's your nature and it's who you are. 
Lord, I pray for every heart and soul in this building that we will be reminded this morning that the word over our lives is yes and amen. Beginning with our identity. We are not slaves to fear and we are not orphans. We are sons of a father who is affectionate and kind. I just feel for anyone this morning who wants to come forward and receive prayer in any respect that there's an opportunity to do that. My wife and I would love to pray for you. I'm sure you've got an amazing ministry team here as well. So you can come forward. Yeah, I just um, felt the Lord just say um, that your beautiful gardens, each one of you, and the pruning process is not one um, of an angry gardener that's just ripping things up. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you need. He knows when you need more sun. He knows when you need more water. He wants to refresh you this morning. So this word isn't to condemn or point out. It is to lift up and refresh. And I just feel like there's, so like my hand is up, God, I want a refreshing. Because that's why we come to, we come to be together, but to encounter Jesus. Amen. We come to encounter the gardener, the good father. We come to be reminded, be awake for the rest of the week, be awake. And I just feel like Jesus wants to stand in front of some people and just um, remind you that he's kind and gentle and um, that his Holy Spirit wants to nurture and grow you this morning, not just um, point out what's maybe painful in your life, but show you what, what he's doing and how he's tending to you. Amen. So if that is you, please come. We want to pray for you in the, in the prayer ministry team. We want to pray for you.